0: Small businesses are the backbone of the economy and the heart of communities across Canada. They represent our innovative spirit, our diverse cultures, and our common needs. In support of the small businesses who tirelessly keep our economy growing and those who proudly carry their products, this is Barcodes and Beyond, an original podcast brought to you by GS1 Canada. For anyone interested in small businesses and entrepreneurship. Welcome, I'm your host, Teddy Wilson. Most small businesses start with a dream a deep desire to share a passion, a cool product, or a unique service with the community. But turning that big dream into a reality can sometimes be daunting. And this is where GS1 Canada comes in helping small businesses like yours get it right from the start. We all know what barcodes are, but only GS1 barcodes are globally recognized and ensure that your products are uniquely identified and traced back to your company, locally and around the world. In this episode of Barcodes and Beyond, we figure out how to get the basics right with our guest, a firefighter turned spice blend master. He's the president of Fire in the Kitchen Spice Co., Christian Horner. Hey, Christian, how you doing?
1: I'm good, you How are you?
0: I'm great, and I'm excited to talk to you. So I, I want to start at the very beginning. Tell me a bit about how your mom influenced your passion for food that eventually led to this business.
1: Basically, I have to thank my mom for all my culinary skills and experience. She was a fine food caterer for 30 years in Toronto. Self-taught, amazing cook. She would do parties of gourmet dinners for five people, up to CBC one year for 5,000. Well-respected in, in the city and... Just an incredible scratch cook. She was a special, special, soulful person, and her spirit was incredible, and that resonated with a lot of people, and I sort of followed in her footsteps. I think my first time sort of working with her and using a knife, chopping parsley and prepping food for her, was when I was like seven years old. I couldn't escape it, so it's naturally ingrained in my world and body. I resonate back to food all the time.
0: I understand it was, it was a big party that really sparked this idea for your company and your product initially. Tell me about that.
1: A good buddy of mine, uh, his wife was turning 40 and asked me to cater her birthday. And I did uh, 200 wings with a seasoning that I've been trying to perfect. And people were just over the moon about the flavor. So my buddy the next day called me and said, uh, Christian, I want this in a jar. And I, that's when the lights went off.
0: So you're making these rubs. You're, you're serving them to people, to some friends. You're getting all of this positive feedback. Yeah. People telling you, hey, you got to sell this. How do you take that, that passion, that hobby at the time, and transition it into a
1: business? I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a businessman. I'm more of the creative side of everything and the innovator of of the recipes. I never had any expectations for fire in the kitchen. I had my career with the fire department. This was a hobby that became a business without any projections. I didn't know where I was going to be year to year. I just let it grow organically and it grew. I was living in Port Credit, Mississauga at the time. And my local butcher, who was literally a five-minute walk down the street, Ali from the Elmwood Meat Market, great guy. I brought a sample to him. And I'd created a logo, and I found a little jar, and I put the exacted recipe in the jar, and I called it One Rub. It's a multi-purpose seasoning for everything. You know, everyone needs one rub. I brought it to Ali, and he loved it and asked for a case. So I sold him a case, and he sold that case in a week and asked me for another one, and then gave me the best advice I ever got. It was just, Christian, if you want to take a stab at this, you got to come up with a line, and you can really do something here.
0: So you're a firefighter by day, and then and what, at at night in your apartment, you're mixing spices?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we have um, interesting time off. So you average about two 24-hour shifts a week. And then in that time off, when you've recovered from sleep and that kind of thing, I would mix and match and blend. I just went ballistic. In the beginning, I went to the bulk barn and and grabbed a couple hundred bucks worth of raw ingredients, and uh, I dropped it all down in these white bags, and I'd have these big mixing bowls and a whisk and spoons. I would grab certain things like chipotle powders, chili powders, like uh, smoke flavors, and I would just experiment. My tongue and palate got pretty raw half the time when I was doing it, and you would get to the point where you don't know what you're tasting anymore, so you got to take serious breaks between it all. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a fantastic process. And then we'd blend it, then I'd have to jar it, cap it, label it, pack it, and set it on a pallet and ship it. Wow. And I did that for years. So you've got one big bowl
0: in the middle, you've got a ton of little bowls with different spices, and then you're just trying combinations? Just
1: trying combinations, yeah. Like, honestly, like a mad scientist. And so I would experiment with stuff that was good for flavor, and I would experiment with stuff that was good for color. Because I wanted the uh, aesthetics of the, the blends to, to be appealing as well. Flavor is my number one priority. Yep. But when you're cooking, and when you're learning from such a great cook, like my mom, a culinary artist, you want things to look good on the plate as well. It sounds like the
0: culinary equivalent of jazz. You know, you're just like riffing and trying new things.
1: Yeah, no, you know what? There is a really massive creative element to it, and I think that's uh, part of what I love most about it.
0: You make your spices. You get this positive feedback from friends. You you start selling them through Ali the butcher. So you're you're getting some momentum.
1: Where did your business grow from there? I just started pounding the pavement to local butchers and food shops, and. Uh, I think my first year I did about 8,000 sales. And from that point on, every year I doubled, which was incredible. I was at the point where I think there was about maybe 20 of them in the GTA. And then I had an opportunity to present to Longo's. And that was the big ticket for me at that point. Cool. My first serious contract with Longo's, it it was more opportunity-based. My sister and brother-in-law are both retired police officers from Peel. And Longo's has heavy presence in, in Mississauga and Peel. So they come together every year and do an annual charity event. And my sister had asked me if, you know, I was running fire in the kitchen, if I wanted to be part of the vendor market. And I said, absolutely. Any opportunity that I could capitalize on to, to share my recipes and my blends, I would jump all over it. I had the booth set up and Jenny Longo was there. She came by the booth and talked to me and was interested in the packaging. And I was sampling and she fell in love with the product, liked the packaging. And, you know, at the end of the night, it was made very clear that she wanted to see this stuff in, in Longo's. Talk about excitement. I think I probably carpet bombed her. For a week with emails about, how do we do this? What do I got to do? Tell me what to do. And that's, that was a big learning stage, how to get involved with a grocery chain like that. I've been very fortunate through the development and growth of this company that every step along the way, the reactions and feedback I get from people that sample it and try it on their food has been validating. It's like the gasoline of the engine.
0: So that deal with the first grocery chain seems like it was a real turning point for you.
1: It was a huge turning point because of their initial purchase order for you know, 23, 24 locations is huge. So it's like, okay, now what am I doing? How much do I have to blend? I was blending by myself at that time. I was jarring by myself at that time, labeling by myself, packaging, everything on my own, right? And I did that for years and delivering to each, you know, direct-to-store delivery to each location. Now my spices are blended in Burlington. They're co-packed in Burlington in a different location and then they're shipped from a different location. So we don't have our own facilities, our own warehouse. Finding those proper supply and and vendor partners is a huge challenge, especially when it's such a crazy, fast-moving market in the grocery world.
0: Yeah. I'm really curious as to what your pitch is when you're trying, for example, to get your product in a grocery store. What do you actually say to people?
1: And so I would go in and I would explain where it came from, how I developed it, why I developed it. And I would send them all at least three or four samples to take home and share with their friends and family. You know, as we always say, the proof is in the pudding. That's why we do in-store demos. Like once people try it, they buy it. And for example, we could sell eight units in a Loblaws in a week, let's say. We would do a demo and we'll sell 45. Wow. Yeah. And that's feedback that legitimizes what we're doing and it makes me realize we're on the right track. But you did get
0: to a point where you almost lost
1: it all, right? What happened is I had a business partner at the time and we just got to a point where we're butting heads. We just opened up the U.S. market and we uh, expanded fast. Maybe we put the cart before the horse. And when those breakdowns of those relationships in my life, we couldn't fulfill it. Our reputation was getting tarnished because things weren't functioning logistically, and account management, and cash flow, and things just started falling apart. And we decided to go our separate ways. I almost got to the point where I had to throw in the towel. But we got saved.
0: And you didn't have to throw in the towel. You. Pulled it out of the fire, as it were.
1: Luckily, I found two new strategic financial partners. We found a a good corporate investor. Now we're like fully funded and up and running and and ready to rock and roll. So it's it's a really exciting time for this company.
0: Relationships in business are so important. For you, where are they on the hierarchy of what really matters in business?
1: I don't know if it's my customer service experience or just the catering and the hands-on approach. For me, building relationships is the bottom line of trust. And in business, I mean, I don't think there's anything more important than that. I don't shop for services. I meet somebody that supplies, or is one of our service suppliers, a co-packer, a blender, and I create that relationship. And then I go and see until they let me down, I have no reason to search for anybody else. It's also understanding each other and, and getting to know each other on a personal level too. It doesn't have to be all business all the time.
0: Relationships seem like the key. So tell me about how your relationship with GS1 started. What led you to become a subscriber?
1: As far as I knew, GS1 was a national company that supplied barcodes, UPC barcodes, so they could scan at the grocery store. That's as, as much as I knew about GS1. As we grew and it became a necessity to, to use GS1, it became obvious that they were sort of like a, a national program, more than just a barcode supplier. They were a program that, that helped add legitimacy to our products. I mean, if we're GS1 certified and using their platforms and have the codes, people look at us as a legit, proper, reputable company, and it helps us in the, in the national market and it helps us in the global market. I'm still navigating everything uh, GS1 has to offer, but the network and the the community, uh, the communication and how we can grow our business and engage with other people doing the same thing through the platform of GS1, it's an awesome service.
0: You've had a lot of success. You built this from the ground up. So what sort of advice do you give to aspiring business owners when they come to you seeing the success that you've had?
1: You know, the common cliche, if you don't shoot, you don't score. That was my biggest thing. Like, you just have to go after things and don't be afraid. And fear is your biggest enemy. And you got to connect with the right people. Because if you're good to somebody, they're good to you. They're going to help you out. And I met some really good people in the beginning. And they wanted to see me succeed.
0: Yeah, it really seems like a, a case of the rising tide lifts all boats, right?
1: Yeah, I, I like that.
0: Knowing what you know now, all the ups and downs, would, would you start this journey again, if you, if you could?
1: 100%. There's nothing more exciting about an initial creative process about, you know, putting a product together that you absolutely love and you've spent your entire life basically experimenting with. There's nothing better than finding that space within yourself and realizing that you've got an entrepreneurial bone in your body and, and you want to do something that's going to reflect who you are. And that's what this has become for me.
0: What a fantastic story of passion and resilience. Christian, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us.
1: Uh, my pleasure. Thank you.
2: Hello, I'm Eileen McDonald, CEO and President of GS1 Canada. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. For more information on how GS1 Canada can help you get started, keep listening. We are here as a trusted strategic partner to support businesses like yours.
0: There's so much to think about when launching a business, but that shouldn't dissuade you. With the right partnerships in place, success is attainable. Which leads me to my next guest. He's an entrepreneurial leader who's passionate about business and innovation. Please welcome Chief Marketing Officer of Strategizer, Inc., Mickey Velimirovich. Hey, Mickey, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You know, we just heard Christian's story, and of course we all know that being an entrepreneur can be really difficult. But I hear that you've got a framework or a sort of roadmap to simplify things for business owners when they're trying to launch a new business. So tell me about that.
3: Yeah, I call this framework the four C's, and it contains company, customers, competition, and category. So company is all about what is your business model? How is your company going to make money? And then customers, what gains are they trying to achieve? And so how does your value proposition match what they need? And so understanding the customer is so critical in getting you know, this business off the ground and making sure that it fits Number three is the competition. So what are they doing? How are they positioning themselves in the marketplace? What promises are they making to the customers? And I'm not suggesting that we need to look at our competition and copy what they're doing. It's more understanding how are they positioning themselves to the customers. And finally, the fourth C is the category, which is what are the trends, developments, things that are really happening in the industry and the category that you play in. So the, the 4C framework kind of gives you this overall view of there is this idea, the spark, how do I build a business model that the value proposition matches to what my customers really want, that sets me apart from my competitors, and that really allows me to understand how I'm going to succeed not only today, but, you know, for, for years to come.
0: Another element of business is obviously having partners, supportive partners. Can you talk a little bit about the value of bringing supportive partners on board in the early stages of growing your company?
3: You know, it always fascinates me when I talk to a lot of small business owners in their beginning stages and you ask them, how's it going? And they say, oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's great. It's great. But man, is it hard, right? And, you know, you start to delve into why is it hard? And they're like, well, just you know, it's just me trying to do this thing. And I said, but wait a minute, but what What? What do you mean it's only about you? I mean, what about others? And they say, well, I, I'm solopreneur. I'm just starting this thing out. But oftentimes they forget that they have a network, partners they can rely on. The first set of partners are their peers, other small business owners. They've gone through the same challenges. And leaning into that learning, having that first level support When things get really tough, when you sort of just have to ask those questions, you know, what did you do in this case? Mm. Or how did you get through this? Or did you ever run into the situation? You know, I have this analogy that it's always a lot easier to walk through a forest at night with other people next to you than alone, because you sort of feel like there's always going to be someone that can help me. A lot less scary. Exactly. A lot less scary. (laughs) (laughs) But small business owners often also forget there's really two other really big partners that they can rely on. Number one are the brands that serve them. So whether they're talking about accounting software, whether they're talking about telecommunications equipment that they need, IT equipment, a lot of these big brands have tremendous amount of great content that they're giving out, not only on how to use that particular product or service, but even goes beyond what they're doing. And then the third, and this is associations, and associations are like, You know, biggest bang for the buck, in my opinion. Mm. Think about GS1 Canada. These are the barcode people, but they do so much more than that. I mean, there's so much tremendous value that business owners can really gather out of an association, a partner like GS1. You step back and you think you're alone, but really in reality, you're not. You have your peers. They've done this. They've Mm -hmm. been through it. Brands that can really, really help. And then associations like GS1, they can really be of tremendous value throughout
0: that entire business journey. I think that's really interesting. So what are some of the important details that business owners should know, but maybe typically don't when they're starting out, especially if they're somebody like Christian who are kind of coming at their business from a passion side, as opposed to a pure entrepreneurial side?
3: I, I always share this with a lot of small business owners that fall into the category of what we call sort of the, the, the crafts.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So a long time ago, I ran a marketing agency consultancy that helped big brands market to small businesses and we always used to tell them you have two types of small businesses that you're going to face. You have the artisans and then you have the crusaders. (laughs) And the artisans are people that have a craft. They're so good at doing something. They're passionate about their product like Christian is about the rubs that he's making but they don't really know everything else about business and honestly that's okay. They're not supposed to know. They're not supposed to figure out every aspect because they're not an accountant. They're not a financial planner, they're not a marketer. And even though they're going to start to really learn that, they can 100% lean in on the partnerships. We did talk about associations like GS1 Canada. I mean, even in his case, if he's trying to figure out, how do I figure out the supply chain? How do I figure out, how do I get my products on the shelves of various stores, not only in my province, but across Canada? There's a tremendous amount of help that can be provided that he can lean on. So he doesn't have to be an expert. These associations and partners and brands are the experts in what they do and they can really show them the way. So I just want to make sure that a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs don't feel like they have to learn everything because sometimes when they do that, they take their eyes off the craft and the craft is what got them there
0: in the first place. Get a crusader in your corner. (laughs) Exactly. You got it. (laughs) Uh, So Christian told us there that he didn't think about the future a lot when he was starting. How important is it for small businesses, especially in the early stages, to think about the long-term and to kind of get into that mindset?
3: It's critical, really. To me, long-term sustainability is wholly based on how good your business model is from the beginning. Mm -hmm. What's my revenue projection? What's my cash flow going to be? Keep asking questions, keep figuring out, do I have the right bits and pieces or those elements in place? You want to make sure you're almost building this invincible company.
0: Christian did mention that he didn't have too many backups in his supply chain. So how problematic can it be for small businesses if they don't think about the supply chain in terms of having backups and having redundancies built in?
3: In all honesty, it can kill a business. If a business has one key partner that is providing such an important part of their product that they're developing or their service they're providing, it can literally stop everything. We all kind of lean back and think well COVID was hard on us but it was really really tough on businesses and they felt exactly what that means if you don't have Mm -hmm. supply chain backups if you don't really have more than one supplier partner because many things can happen to many of them and the beauty about supply chain is that they're fellow business owners right Mm -hmm. then they're so happy to be there and it's perfectly fine to say to someone hey, by the way, you are my number one, but I do have a backup. I have a number two and a number three. In fact, if I was a key component in somebody's supply chain, I would want them to have a backup. And it's perfectly fine to say, hey, listen, I've built a network because I'm just trying to build that sustainability in my business model.
0: Yeah, you're not going to offend other businesses. They're going to know that you've, you've got a solid plan. Absolutely. Christian was super passionate about his product. I know that he was over the moon when he got into the U.S. market, but he almost lost it all. Can you talk about the degree to which businesses should be cautious about growing too fast?
3: It's tempting, you know, it's tempting to jump into another, particularly another geography. And it happens a lot where the assumption is, well, if I'm doing so well here in this market, it's got to work somewhere else. And in reality, it probably will work. But if and only if you've got everything set up in the right way in your initial geography, your initial market or initial customer segment or initial product or service category. So really figuring out all of the components in your initial business model and then translating that to a new geography. I think in Christian's example, it probably, it's this allure of, wow, I'm about to enter a market that's 10 times bigger than Canada, so therefore there's going to be 10 times the revenue and improved margins and there's so much money down there, but you're also entering a completely new world, right? There's new competitors, there are going to be the new categories, new cost structures and things that could completely set you off. Then lean on those that you know you can trust and and honestly, anywhere in the world you want to go. Your fellow small business owners are always going to be super helpful, right? So they're going to be the ones that tell you, okay, here are some of the things you got to look out for in this particular market, this particular geography.
0: That's true though. That promise of growth that comes with new markets can be so tantalizing for small businesses, but it sounds like you really got to lean back on your strategy and I guess just think more strategically overall about how you're going to grow absolutely
3: it's just really kind of having having that open view mm-hmm. into understanding that it will be different that it will be challenging that it will take your focus away from what has made you successful what has made you get to this point point. and growth it's tempting right but i think slow and steady is always going to win the race
0: It's so great to have you and your brain here. You've got such great advice and great insight. Any kind of final pieces of wisdom or advice to to share with our listeners? You know,
3: the, the number one always is that element of always go back to the fundamentals of business. I think a lot of times small business owners will also we talked about growth and fast growth and maybe there is a way to say, well, I'm going to accelerate that through getting funding and things like that. And forget about fundamentals of what makes a business run fundamentally, which is What does the customer want? Do I have the product service that serves that need? Meld that together and promise you that you will be successful each and every time.
0: Mickey, that was so insightful. Such great wisdom and perspective there. Uh, You know, I think entrepreneurs and business people are going to take a lot from what you said. So thanks for joining us. Thank you.
2: Hello again, it's Eileen. Thanks for listening to Barcodes and Beyond. In this episode, Kristen touched on the importance of building relationships when you're a small business. We couldn't agree more. GS1 Canada is a neutral, non-for-profit association providing trusted tools that support small businesses like yours, an absolute priority for GS1 Canada. We've been listening to small businesses across the country, resulting in GS1 Canada introducing new initiatives designed to meet your needs. This includes flexible subscription options for your barcodes and education resources and e-learning modules, Additionally, we've been working closely with government to provide a trade readiness certification program that helps small businesses. Now this is a real key component to the overall program because we hear back from your potential trading partners that one of the issues they have is that we meet with so many phenomenal entrepreneurial small businesses, but they are not trade ready. And we GS1 within this program will help you get ready to meet your trading partner requirements with the first meeting. Something you may not realize is that for over 50 years, GS1 standards, as an example the barcode, are the most widely used system of supply chain standards in the world. When a single system of standards is used along the supply chain, communication is easier as all constituents in the supply chain are speaking the same global language of business. GS1 standards ensure that manufacturers provide the product information that retailers, distributors, food service operators, marketplaces, and more need to simplify their listing process. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode on getting your products to market.
0: I'm Teddy Wilson. Thanks so much for listening. This is Barcodes and Beyond, an original podcast series for small businesses brought to you by GS1 Canada a not-for-profit association committed to providing small businesses with trusted tools and support to successfully bring their products to market. To learn how GS1 Canada can help you start and grow your small business, go to gs1ca.org.